So uh, when we uh, were here last, it was all sweetness and light about how much uh, we loved Great heartwarming movies about horrible violence, and uh, <laughs> and now we'll have horrible violence about a heartwarming movie. Um, so Camera Person is my number one film of the festival. Um, number one. Number one. Wow. Absolutely. Oh, Doug, um, you just had to take a stand, didn't you? It's my number I, something. I've, ta- I've taken it a couple times publicly, so it's not really news for those of us who are still on Twitter anyway. <laughs> um, so, did I, you say it's your number two? I no, no, I said it's my number something. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and unfortunately, where were all of your Pento coverage? Did you, did you write about it there? I wrote about it in the documentary piece the documentary that I wrote. Section, yeah. Okay. The one on Wiener and uh, Free Indeed. And, uh, yeah, which I definitely read. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I wrote about it there. Yeah, I mean, I, and, but for those who didn't read that, anyway. to give it a, a bit of an explanation of that. Kirsten Johnson's I, not, a name, not a name you'll probably recognize. Yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't recognize her name, but you'll have seen some of the films that she's yeah. worked on because she's worked on Citizen Four and yep. Fahrenheit 9-11 and a number of other documentaries. And she's a documentary filmmaker or ca- camera person who has accumulated this vast mm. you know, pile of footage over the years, much of which hasn't made it to its final films. And also um, part of the context of camera person that's not in the film is she started making a film in Afghanistan about two young people and then mm. one of them um, backed out of participation in the film in face of concerns about their safety and so some of that f- along with um, footage from the rest of her career is made into camera person what I love about camera person is the use of these different bits of footage over the years to articulate and challenge the notion of what it is that a documentary camera person does, what a documentary editor does, what a documentarian does. And and there's several striking examples of this. The opening scene, which is a beautiful uh, scene, and, and initially that you characterize as just this lovely idyll of somebody shooting flowers and then somebody rides by on a horse and you get this great mm. thing, um, takes on this whole different weight of understanding an hour later when you understand the context in which she was filming that for and the purpose in which Mm. that was being filmed for. That's one example. Another example is there's a scene from uh, Fahrenheit 9-11 that's an interview that Michael Moore's doing, but we're used to seeing these interviews in Michael Moore films edited a certain way, presented a certain way, and given a certain leverage through soundtrack and things like this. And, and usually cross-shot as well. Yeah, so you yeah. get Michael Moore giving his line and then the subject back. And this um, uh, soldier who's, I think, interviewed in front of Congress, perhaps, yeah. is not given this sort of uplift of the vessel of the film. And eventually this disintegrates into, as it's clear, this um, soldier has taken a stand that will probably result in jail time. You know, um, Michael Moore sort of impotently saying, well, well, get in touch with my office and maybe we'll, we'll try do something you. for you. And the, yeah. and, and the camera remains resolutely on this soldier's face who's not going to do something. Um, there's a lot about the choice of how we depict things and what we choose to depict and mm. um, whether it's better to depict an atrocity or to look away from it and what's to be gained from that. And there's a lot of that on the... Con- that there, I mean, I think there's a literal lecture that's filmed that's edited back to back with something that's shot in a courthouse in Texas mm, where yeah. they talk about this book that they prepared for the uh, uh, the jury that has pictures of the uh, victim in this horrific, I think Jasper Sharp is the yeah. guy's name, who is dragged behind a truck to his death. And there's this discussion of the director asking to see this. And 
And and what I think is extraordinary about all of this is it creates. It's not just that it's implicating the viewer because that's you know it, that thing has been done quite a bit, but it's humanizing the view. It's at, it's making you try to think about what it means for a human to be holding that camera mm. in all of these different contexts, what decisions they're having to make, what pressures they're under, and what dictates those images that you come to see. And, and this is also not just in the context of the day-to-day in the field, but also in the larger scope. And you get a, a slice of Kirsten Johnson's life with her twins and her mother, yeah. who is um, suffering from Alzheimer's, mm. um, most notably not the parent of her twins. Uh, and and other and there's a, a remarkable scene with a filmmaker near the end who's... Um, been kind of losing the plot and she's in her bedroom and yeah, yeah. kind of is free and then all of a sudden and it's a snowy day and all of a sudden like she's completely lost the plot and then there's this giant collapse of snow so, off the roof yeah. and, um, and, and it's and, and what I saw in that moment was this sort of moment that's like this amazing moment that would never fit into probably the source text in which it was intended because what uh, what happens when you shoot these things right is you get these moments and they can be powerful and they can have carry all these things but there's this larger text that you're putting them together for mm. and so how they function as moments and how they function mm. in in a linear narrative that's trying to make a point is very different and so by extracting them from the necessity of that threaded together narrative it's allowed to function almost more as a mosaic where you associate between these moments and experience them as moments but also moments that resonate with the others but you're allowed to draw your own thing I've spent way too much time talking about this David tell me why I'm full of crap <laughs> I'd like to hear why Jacob liked it um, I liked it not as much as Doug in fact um, I think I um, <clears throat> scaled back my letterbox rating from a four and a half to a four just the other night ooh controversial <laughs> yeah yeah Gentlemen, would you fight this out, please? <laughs> Not something that I would normally do, but yeah, okay. You felt strongly. Uh, well, yeah, okay. It just faded a little bit after having watched it. Yeah, um, that happens. What appealed to me most about the film um, was that you saw these disparate, like Doug said, you see that there's a person behind the camera capturing all this footage and that they have they have to deal with what they're capturing and that, that you've got a, like that a single person career has spanned a, a range of different projects and they've been in all these situations and they've got to somehow sort of be in those, be able to function outside of those and it's, it's a job but at the same time like you, you see moments in the film where she can't help but respond to the situation she's in where she's going, do we have to do something now? You know, stuff has gone too far here. I can't be just an impassionate viewer of this thing I've got to get involved somehow um, and then you also see a good number of pieces from films where clearly there's a lot at stake for the person who is being filmed or it's a topic which um, holds some weight but then you put it up against something else which is truly tragic on such a scale that it's how do you then weigh these things against each other in your personal experience but as viewers you could, you're in the moment in a, in a film where you're getting impacted and, and moved by a particular 
scene um, and then it's butted up against something which is so tragic on such a different scale where you might not find it moving in, a, in the same way but actually what you've just been watching is dwarfed by this, the scale of this thing you're now seeing or seeing a part of and how do you synthesise these moments as a person and as a viewer being forced to put those back to back is really interesting about uh, an interesting exploration for me of how do I respond to these things and how do you separate them out how do you kind of give sort of weight to each of these um, experiences that you're seeing unfold it was yeah fascinating in that sense of the world is an intricately complex place um, with a complex lot of issues and everything matters in your context but then you know you get a bit of um, perspective seeing them up against other situations which are just so outside your own. And one thing I'd like to add to that before we flip to the prosecution uh, is that how you choose to frame those is Mm. very interesting and very important and one of the things that stuck with me most is a a long shot that I think is in an abortion clinic, if I remember correctly, um, that's entirely on a woman's hands um, as she's discussing the choices that have brought her mm. um, to this women's health center yeah. or whatever it is. And um, and all you see are her hands and the um, phrase of her pants as she's mm. tearing at them. And interestingly, that shot, shot has stuck with me a lot more than some of the shots of faces. And part of that's probably because I'm face blind. But part of that, I think, is because by being forced to look at it for that length of time, mm. and whether that was because in the initial um, choice of shooting that, that the woman said, I don't want my face shown. And so they d- agreed on this or whatever impetus there was for that shot. You as a viewer then have to reconcile the emotionality of that story with mm. what you're seeing and perhaps that work that you you're doing does that mm. thing and then and then that says well what what is what are the decisions that are being made each time you frame up a shot to have somebody tell that and I, and I think why it's so strong for me and why I rate it so strong is because that it just has such profound ripple effects outside of the film mm. um, in a way that other films don't and that's what I, that I, it makes you look at Michael Moore films and Differently, it makes you look at Laura Poitras films differently. Mm. It makes you look at documentaries differently. Or it makes me. I, I won't speak for everyone else at this table. All right. Let's say first that I went into it with high expectations, so I have to own that. Um, I was specifically expecting a film that it wasn't. Um, that's not its fault. But I found it naive, somewhat simplistic, and visually quite ugly um, in a way that was just... Um, I, I found it a strain to watch, just a lot of recontextualized handheld camera footage, which I found sufficiently wearying purely as a physical experience to process that I wanted more back from it than I got. Um, I have a long-standing issue with documentaries, which has become really quite, quite a thing for me in the last year or two as I've seen more and more of these films which don't which kind of present a very simplistic realism without acknowledging the fact that someone went out and created this artifact and it is an artifact Um, it's interpretive here's a concrete example Uh, I think Jacob you and I both saw The Eagle Huntress at this film festival. Now, it's a very well-intentioned film about a lovely, lovely 
person yeah. in a beautiful place. There's a whole bunch of things I could say about it, but the specific point I want to make about it is that the girl in it goes off to a competition um, to find the best eagle hunter, which is this long-standing tradition of her people in yeah. Mongolia. She's the first girl ever to enter, and she wins. Yeah. At no point in the film does anybody say, incidentally, this is a subjectively judged competition. The judges award points purely based on how they happen to feel watching yeah. the people compete. And this girl had a Western film crew following her around all the time, looking for signs of patriarchal sexism. Yeah. Do you suppose that might have influenced their thinking in any way? Now, maybe it didn't, but it's a question that really needs to be within the frame, not outside it. Hmm. So that's one of many ways that that documentary really pissed me off. And documentaries in general tend to commit that offence quite a lot more than I'm comfortable with in little ways and large ways. I was really looking forward to a film made by a documentary camera person which would address the issue of the ways in which the presence of a camera changes the observed behaviour and the relationship that the camera has to the things in front of it right. but the person behind the camera has all of that stuff which to some extent is exactly the film that Kirsten Johnston was making not quite as much as I wanted it to be I think that there are there are screen titles the only titles in the film it's a film with no voiceover no titles very much you're just given these bits of film and asked to do the work yourself which is a, a great technique I really really tend to like that technique very much this is one of the minority of films which doesn't give you too much direction doesn't oversteer you lets you do the thinking where I came out thinking you know I really wanted voiceover I wanted more information than the visuals alone could give me because I felt that the points being made about the relationships in the film, the experience that she was having, Kirsten Johnson was having, were really quite basic. Um, it was like, yeah, I, I got my head around all this stuff many years ago. So do most people who think about film. You're a professional. A film like this doesn't get made very often. You could have taken this so much further. You could have told me so much more about what was actually happening, what it was actually like for you. I'm inferring an awful lot. That's nice, it's subtle, but it's actually quite low, low, um, low bandwidth. There's, only, there's a limit to how much I can figure out from hearing your occasional muttered remarks and from seeing what you've seen and from putting all these things together. Uh, I, I kind of get the points you're making. You know, I came out thinking, okay, fine. I wanted to come out thinking, oh my God. So again, um, that's somewhat on me, but yeah. I didn't. I didn't have the experience that you had at all. Um, I mean, I, I my immediate response to that would be to say that yeah, I, I understand the film that you want it to have been, and I don't think it succeeds at the film that you want it to have been. It's not an interrogative dissection of the observer effect, and it's not 
and I think it, it's, it's very much more a mosaic and leave things open film than a thesis film. Yeah. And I think that those aren't weaknesses, those are features. Yeah, we can agree on that, but I think what we disagree on is the value of the features. I didn't I didn't find that the rich experience that you did. I, I wish I had. Um, I tried, right. uh, but no, just couldn't get there. So, so again, I'm perfectly happy to say it's... This is partly my fault for turning up wanting a different film than the one she turns out to have made. It's always an error. Um, but also I think the film she did made, not all that interesting to me. I do agree with your comment about some of it looked a bit ugly. Which can be great. I mean, yeah. beauty can be... I did kind of wonder, like, I was looking at some of the shots, I was going, oh, I can kind of see to agree why that got dropped. Maybe it didn't fit the narrative, but... It wasn't just that it was ugly. It was, you know how a certain amount of handheld camera work can start to feel... Your eyes get tired? Mm, mm. It, it was... It, was, it wasn't that I wanted it to be pretty mm. it was that I wanted not to be working so hard unless I was getting more back oh yeah that's it yeah that didn't really stick with me but it also was like, I mean I look at rushes all day and so a lot yeah. of it was <laughs> yeah. looking yeah. the sorts of things that you see in and, and that was perhaps what was exciting about it too is that, that it is to some extent some of it's the stuff that's cut out and I mean I've seen criticisms of the film that said oh why don't you talk more about this Jasper Sharp guy and all that and it's like well she shot a whole documentary about Actually, it. Actually, I like that. You can, that was, you that know, all, all, and, and that's like. and that's all of these. Um, that all of these films have this existence outside of it, and yeah. so this this sits beside those and tries to do a different. I thought job. that moment where you saw that um, it was the prosecution, wasn't it? Not the defense yeah. mm. had put together this booklet mm. that that created an edited artifact to present a certain story to the jury, and that point wasn't made particularly strenuously it was just put there and I thought that actually did a lot of work very neatly I guess one can argue how profound the things that I commented on are or aren't yeah I'm and sorry I didn't, uh, I didn't want to get into this um, <laughs> you're so easily impressed Doug <laughs> is, is not what I came here to say yeah. um, <laughs> but it's where we're at that's kind of not I mean it's, it is it is interesting that you come to this as an yeah. editor and and I come to it as a doctor documentary skeptic so you know um yeah well and i have i have a lot of the same skepticisms that you do about documentaries because i see how they're put together and so and and some of it um i suppose also is some of the shots i i found just um myself getting inside the camera person's head and it's just like oh this is a real like kind of sense of what interests a camera person and that I feel like there's a whole implicit critique around that that is maybe either A, not interesting, or B, not um, accessible, depending on uh, what's there. But, um, you know, and, and the work that somebody does to get the right shot. And you know, there's also, like, questions of just, like, the extent to which you see, you quite often see the manipulation in order to create yeah. that beautiful shot. And and so to that extent, that's another sense where it, it ripples out, right? When you watch your documentaries, you see your beautiful shots. You don't see people bending the grass right, yeah, yeah, bending the grass out of the way, nice shot right there. <laughs> or, or arguing about where to shoot something in order to get the best angle. And so to me, it was like this kind of 
putting out onto the table how the sausage is made. And so, yeah, from that extent, you're, you both are right. Sausage being made is not always very pretty. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so I like that it wasn't a self-flattering 90-minute um, showreel of Kirsten Johnson's prettiest <laughs> pictures. Um, yeah. yeah. You know. It's something uh, else that I should own up to, actually, which is also kind of speaks to the experience of putting your life on hold to go to a film festival and do every do everything as intensely as possible for a while i walked into this film i think just after having learned that not only had my bike been stolen earlier that week but that this was the day that my younger son's bike was stolen in exactly the same spot which was right. kind of i didn't know that so which was no. kind of it was it was kind of hilariously awful it was like yeah. kind of, really Really, we went back to the same spot. We were that stupid, and essentially, <laughs> and the, you're rewarded as you are. The same bike with the same kind of lock was stolen in broad daylight on Queen Street uh-huh. again. So, I only raise this. Um, I raise it partly because it's kind of wonderful in a weird way, but also partly because I was probably not in the happiest frame of mind when I sat right. down. Charitable so, might be the word that. Yeah. So, whether that makes a difference, who knows? But but you always come to films with whatever day you've been having right behind you, and I don't think we talk as much as we could about what a difference it can make. I, I've meant to mention this a couple times because uh, when we were talking about your uh, taste before, I was thinking about the book Let's Talk About Love by Carl Wilson. There's a series of books called the 33 and a Third series, and each one's a profile oh, yeah. of an album, and usually it's like, here's an album about Born in the USA and why Born in the USA is such a great album, or, or Spiderland or Neutral Milk Hotels in the era playing over the sea and um, you know various hipster levels of whatever and so Carl Wilson's like I'm going to write about Celine Dion's Let's Talk About Love oh that's the Celine love. Dion book that's one of my favourite books that's one of my favourite books of aesthetics it's just yes it's, it's amazing so and, and the sense of um, taste performance is, is yeah. what I was thinking of before when you were talking about your self-selection as the classical person uh, at a young age but also the kind of the, the journalism that tries to present a review of a record in the, the music is as a sort of objective yeah. of like and these signifiers so are of higher value than others for anyone who um, doesn't know this is among other things a book in which a critic specifically sets out to try to find the value of music that he detests that yes. he deeply detests that he has a lot of kind of culturally programmed reasons for detesting but that he also specifically detests yeah. and he tries to get to grips with the value of this music why people love it whether he can love it what exactly is going on there and it is it's so interesting and yeah I I've tried to do that myself in all sorts of very little ways yeah I think about it a lot in ter- every, since having read it a couple weeks ago in terms of film and, and how um, as um, film critics often tend to esteem the serious or the serious minded or the thesis uh, as opposed to the comedy or the light mm-hmm. um, and, and that uh, the virtue of a film having themes is in and of itself yeah. a good thing ra- rather than whether it's clumsy about how it articulates those themes or what have you and yeah that's um, very that's very basic i mean that whole thing of there's a pressure on us to like the things that we look good if we like them um that we look clever if we like them obviously those pressures are there and it's very hard to know how much they're wearing on you when you're standing up in public and saying 
well, I think this is a great masterpiece, <coughs> or, or to what extent you're kind of striking a self-conscious pose when you stand up and say, well, actually, I think this thing, which merely appears to be a work of pop culture, is of great value. Yes, it's, yes, or, or you get in the, the double bind of, you know, yeah. actually, you know, I'm going to embrace, insert, you know, pop culture item here, and, yeah. and, and then, yeah, it just becomes this descending spiral. I wonder if that's a good segue into Asgard for Hardy. <laughs> well, that is one of the things that I most enjoy about your film taste. That one of my favorite films of the last 10 years is one of your least favorite. Um, that we, we both love film. We both watch lots of film. There are films of Fahadi's that we each more or less like. But I find it so interesting that you hate a separation. I don't I don't hate like I, I think you I do. It, you I, hate I, it. I, I, gave it, it I gave it two and a half stars on oh, It's better than the Neon Demon. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's that good. It, it, he used to hate it, but now he's moved to a thing where he doesn't really care about it. No, I just dropped off his radar. He's become different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's different to Asgard. <laughs> well, well no, but it but it is um, I felt very alone on a separation because there was such a chorus of adoration. Do you find when you're in that situation, because I do, and I I have been from time to time, that you move from somewhat disliking something to loathing it because you're the only person out there making the negative case and you just dig in? I'd like not to, but I feel like it definitely happened in that case in part because... Because you're the only person making the case, you have to make the case more strongly and more potently when everyone else... Like, I don't have... I haven't seen Suicide Squad, but e.g., like, I don't have to make a strong case about Suicide Squad not being a good film um, because but it's imagine been if, made... Imagine if you loved it. Yeah. Well, it's hard to imagine. But, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, but there, there are films that, uh, you know, I've really loved that I've been quite out, alone and out on a limb on as well. And so I... I I've had it both ways and I think um, it does I think in general like the kind of discourse around film that's prevalent today is this very much you're either this team or that team and you know it's and it's probably part of how I experience film discourses through film Twitter and so 140 characters even um, multiplied by however many you go in a tweet storm doesn't give a lot of room for nuance and there's a lot of people who kind of I, I think, you know, earn their shoelaces, so to speak, by uh, being the person who says, I'm going to take down that. And so you yeah. get these awful think pieces about why The Shallows is better than Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. Um, P.S. It's not. Yeah. Um, but um, it's not even better than Train to Busan, yeah. um, which is out now. But um, yeah, and so, but I do, I, I do. I love the way you did that. Have yeah. to dig in. You can get in this sort of self-interrogating vortex where you're like, well, isn't that just a matter of taste? Well, isn't everything a matter of taste? Why do I like anything? How yeah. am I actually a being or just, you know, and, and at, at, what point, at what point is this a taste performance? At what point is this something actually verifiable about the work? And I think what's, it, to me, what's verifiable about a separation as opposed to a sales, the salesman, which is Farhadi's film this year, um, I feel like the dramatics of a separation are much more foreshadowed and signposted, and I think that that dramatic artifice 
clunks for me in a way that, interestingly, you could argue the salesman is very face-forward in its artifice of yeah. leaning on yeah, the yeah. performance of it. Yeah. But in fact, it also does some nice stuff of setting you up with miscues and um, unexpected. You know, when I when they're like, oh, the woman who lived here left all her stuff here and we're having fights. I'm like, oh, God, this is a Fahardi film. She's going to come there and there's going to be all this yelling because they left her stuff out. <laughs> and that's not what happens. Uh, and, and so that kind of... I felt like there was a bit more um, flat footing and um, red herrings and kind of things that kept me on my toes as to what the actual architecture of the film was, whereas I felt a separation almost felt like the Iranian dramatic version of Curb Your Enthusiasm, where it's like, we're going to have two people that hate each other, and we're going to make it as difficult as possible for them to separate, and everybody's going to do the dramatically legislated most difficult oh, thing. Um, step into the ring with me, my friend. That I, is so not... Okay. That that was my memory of it. I haven't seen it in five off. years. Let's go to... Let's, 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 well, there is there is something... There is a speci- there's a specific link I'd like to draw between a separation and the, and the salesman. Sure. Which is that one of the reasons I love a separation is that it seems to arise... I believe quite organically out of aspects of Iranian society that the film manages to explain in the process of dramatizing them, Um, specifically the divide between the very religious and the somewhat secular stroke Mm. religious. You can't you can't be an out and out public atheist Mm. in Iran, but you can be somewhat secular and completely devout. And that divide really matters for the story and the ways in which it does, I find very easy to understand because of the way they're presented in the film. So that I enjoy very much. The Salesman arises to a degree out of Iranian attitudes to um, sexual harassment and abuse. Mm. And those, for a significant portion of the film, I felt the film wasn't giving me the tools to comprehend fully. So I kept on wanting to lean in and completely engage with what was happening, but feeling that there were at least two versions of what was happening that might be going on, and I didn't know which of them I was seeing because I didn't (laughs) understand Iran. That's really not an Iranian film's job to make me understand Iran, but to the extent that Fahadi is quite consciously making these for a European audience, um, I felt that I needed more help than he was giving me. Basically, there's the story turns on the story turns on a husband's reaction to the slow discovery that something really bad of a sexual nature has probably happened to his wife, and yeah. he handles it incredibly clumsily in ways that are quite easy to. You're understand. talking about the character, not Fahadi. Oh no, the, the character. The pardon, character. Pardon me, the character. I thought Fahadi handled it somewhat clumsily, also, um, because I couldn't figure out how much of what I was perceiving as the husband's clumsiness was culturally pre-programmed and to what extent this was what you might expect a man of this class um, in contemporary Iran to be able to do. Um, So that created a distance between me and the film. Having said which, it's in many ways an extraordinarily strong drama and I I was really glad that I saw it. Um, A separation hater, what was your take on it? 
I really liked it, uh, and I was with it pretty much the whole time. And certainly, um, I mean, I liked the past as well. Uh, <coughs> I thought the past was a much strong improvement on a separation, in part because there was a character that didn't yell all the time. <laughs> uh, but, but with the salesman, I did find just, yeah, I, I guess what you found as unproductive frustration, I found as productive ambiguity, as um, nice. what is this person's intent? Tent, what are they doing? And I feel like that ambiguity is productive because as it leads up to the dramatic reveal, 25 minutes to the before the end or so, which then leads to this, you know, intense chamber piece. Such an um, intense, such, mm, such a great sequence. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and I feel like it, that as somebody who didn't like a Far Hiding movie, how could anybody not be riveted to their seats at this point? At which point I watched two people across the row from me get up and walk out of the theater. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. but, but, um, so to, to everybody their own. But it's like watching a teenage boy get up and walk out in 1977, just as Luke Skywalker is zeroing in on the Death Star. Mm-hmm. It's like, why would you do that? Yeah, yeah. It's like if, if the movie's not right for you, I could understand leaving an hour ago. But mm. how? I mean, and and I did. I think I suppose what you found is frustrating as well in terms of like culturally, like. The choice whether or not to go to the authorities with such a matter, I think, is probably what you're getting at in part. Yeah, part of it. Yeah. Um, mm. I, I again took, and I think the film addresses this to some degree, um, and also it's something I think because it's been recently highlighted and discussed in various venues here, the extent to which authorities are often a ill-equipped to handle such matters, oh, and be the extent to which a person's um, personal decisions are then interrogated and yeah. they become victimized a second time in uh, such yeah. things. And yeah. so in both this and another movie that we're going to discuss, I gave it the that, benefit of the doubt. Although that makes complete sense. Yeah. I'm not sure if it was the sense it was trying to make. I, I don't know either, but I mean, I, I watch many films that are I'm divorced from the cultural context of, and so... If if it works for me, I don't feel the need to interrogate. Well, that worked for me, but is it that in fact how you know? Yeah. You know, rape, rape well, situation, and, and I, same, I feel certainly in same. Arabic I mean, cultures I, where women tend to be more victimized. Yeah, it's, for those sorts of reasons than they I, do I, in I, Western cultures. I don't mean to go to town on this, but I mean, I've also found this with Fahadi's film about Eli. There was another. Um, film I saw at this festival, Sandstorm, which is also mm. set in um, a Bedouin mm. society, traditional but contemporary, where similar things were coming up. <laughs> and that film was completely transparent. It was ab- absolutely everything that was in every character's head was quite visible at every moment, although nothing was being spelled out. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's just down to the details. And quite possibly I was misreading the Fahadi. I'm still not convinced that if I went back and watched about Ellie, it wouldn't be obvious to me what was going on. But that's one of the, that's one of his films that people tend to love. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I, I loved about Ellie. It's yeah, probably, not one of my favourites. It would be one of my two favourites, I think. Huh. With uh, a separation? Yeah, probably. For me, it would be a separation and Firework Wednesday. Oh, yeah. Fireworks Wednesday is also very good. I, I found, for me, um, The Salesman, probably I liked it just slightly less in the past, which a lot of people sort of felt like he... Well, I don't think I thought it was bad, but maybe, you know, compared to the previous couple, he maybe got... Yeah, I found, I found the past disappointing. I which, whereas I, I, I'm really I fascinated by this, because, yeah, it's, it's so different from my experience, yeah. but my experience 
everybody I talked to who of Ferhadi thought Salesman was a step down from his previous yeah. works, I, yeah, and whereas for, me, not, for me it's as good as anything I've seen he's done. I was reflecting on, lo and behold, the, um, the, Herzog, the Herzog documentary, and I was I was writing another documentary I'd seen not so long ago, and going, and I realised I'd given them the same rating, and I was going... What am I? What am I saying? Lo and behold, it's so much better than this thing. Yeah. But but because I'm I'm you, and, I, and I was talking to someone. You, you, can't, you can't help but judge everyone's cinema against their 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 filmography. Yeah. Um, I so, completely agree. And, yeah. And so, Lo and behold, is lesser Herzog, but a lot yeah, of fun. But, and the salesman is perhaps lesser Fahadi, perhaps not. But yeah, it's still a great film. Depending on what you're looking for. But for me, yeah, yeah. it wasn't Fahadi's best, but I really enjoyed it. And compare it to any other sort of melodrama out there or drama dramatic. For the piece, fantastic. The guy yep. can write. Yeah, and, like, and it, also this, I think this is the best demonstration of his sense of humor that he's yeah. ever had, and that's mm. um, was really lovely as well. Is yeah. that there are some quite funny bits to it, um, and and it's not just a programmatic slog into the heart of yeah. um, darkness, but that it actually has light and shade and texture, and and the husband's performance I thought was just amazing. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. and so and I'm and that's um, well, I, and I, see, I'm just not getting the lesser out of it, which is. Really well, interesting well, you, to me. You um, really like the um, the climactic sequence um, yes. where everything was kind of on full boil and brought to a head. I, to me, that it was good, but it, I, I felt that was I felt another contrivance in that, hmm. and that kind of took it off of me. But what I really liked was the closing scene when they're back at the um, performance. I loved that. That was. I was like, yeah, that's, God, that was so well done. The awkwardness between that couple and devastating, uh, mm. and it really earns the presence yeah. of the Arthur Miller play. The whole yeah. the whole film is built around a production of an Arthur Miller play, and it really needs to be there for that final scene. Yeah, I, I did feel like, oh, maybe I'd be getting more out of this if I'd revisited Death of a Salesman. Yes, recently. me too. Me too. Um, I, like, I, I read that when I was 16. I've never seen it on stage. Maybe that was a mistake. I feel like I saw like either a high school or a university production, and that's uh, you know, been the last I've had it cross my path. But I, I saw um, The Salesman with someone who doesn't know the play at all, who coincidentally has been sitting behind us listening to this podcast the whole time. Raph, this would be my youngest son. Did you feel the absence in a bad way? I didn't. I do feel like I might have appreciated the film more fully if I'd if I knew the death of a salesman, but I, I didn't feel anything obviously Latin. Hmm. Useful. Yeah, yeah. I I, th- I think a lot of what you need to get out of it is relatively surface. Um, I'm still interested in this point about making it for a European audience because one of the things I read about the film is actually he wasn't it wasn't going to be his next film. He was prepping a film in either France or Spain. I can't remember which, and he decided actually I need to go home and I need to make a film there. And this came together relatively quickly. And um, so to some extent, I feel like it's actually. I mean, obviously, it's marketed. It premiered at Cannes. It's yeah. marketed towards yeah. the world. And it's made through those structures. I was just but it does it also where its feel comes from. like yeah. he's, you know, he's working with long time ensemble members and mm. things like that. So I'm not. I. I. I but I, I think it is always an interesting question as to what yeah. extent it's incumbent on a filmmaker yeah. to speak to the world I, or I to should, speak to their. I should emphasize. I didn't mean to say that in a cynical way. It's not like he's lost touch with his with his native roots and he's he's out there yeah. playing the role of a of Iranian filmmaker for a European audience of seats. It's more that it's just that he's plugged into those European funding mechanisms. Sure. Now. Well, the one thought that I had, and it could be completely 
just my own sort of reading something that's not there and either you sort of see a metaphoric quality in the um at the start of the film they're um they they're forced to evic- be evicted from the house because there's um construction going on that means that their building is suddenly crumbling and yeah. around them and so it's not safe to be in to me that kind of held a kind of a metaphoric quality around not just the where the relationship was heading but also uh, like i wonder whether that was a comment on some of iranian structures socio-political structures from fahadi i don't know enough about it to to say whether that's the case that's interesting i can't do anything with that in an iranian context specifically it's certainly it works very nicely as a metaphor for what happens to the marriage this external yeah. event comes and knocks the thing over yeah. it develops cracks and actually it ends up being uninhabitable. Although I think that undersells the extent to which the husband's choices mm. create that ending, mm. because it did not have mm. to happen. Mm. No, no, not at all. That's kind of that's what's so heartbreaking about yeah. the whole that whole final sequence. You're walking this tightrope between essentially he has to choose to practice forgiveness in a situation where it's going to be really quite hard to do, mm. but it's also absolutely essential that he does, and it looks like he will and then he's obviously not going to but no he is no he's not wait a moment what's going on here and it's just minute by minute it could go either way yeah yeah and he he does the thing that in all likelihood any of us might do if we were angry enough and felt that we had justification enough and he pays a very high price for it Mm. although not as high as someone else does Mm. Mm. I yeah, don't want to expand on yeah. that. I think I think the, um, the yeah the metaphorical weight of it is something that maybe when people talk about being weaker, maybe that is a bit of a it does struggle from having this artifice of the salesman on it and mm. and the death of a salesman hanging in the background and whether that becomes perhaps almost too quotidian of a yeah. metaphor. I, I just feel like as, as pure dramatist, it works so yeah. effectively yeah. that none of that really bothers me and yeah. that, that I'm I'm definitely sort of yeah. won over to the point where Actually, I investigate a separation again. When I think about that last scene, I don't think when I think about the details of it, I don't need it to be death of a salesman. What makes it so mm. powerful is just the fact that they're in makeup. Yeah. And in particular that mm. she is um, she looks so old. She's mm-hmm. she's been artificially aged. Yeah. And that just that's so devastating. What did you think about the kind of the use of those tableaus of furniture at the start, and then you know furniture at the end, where it's kind of like it's deliberately blurring the stage of the play. Yeah, well, I love the that. stage of where their life is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think somewhere here in my large pile of viewing notes, I have a description of that beat by beat, which basically says something to the effect of Fahadi is so good. Mm. <laughs> Just the, the, the sense of control. Mm. The sense of control in that opening was so great that I almost felt let down when it went to something that felt much more kind of <clears throat> observational realistic. Mm. For, for the beginning of the story proper mm. that, that whole moment where, where I wasn't quite sure whether we were within a stage set or not um, and then you you kind of cut from there to the earthquake I think it's, it's, it's great let's um, let's talk about another story that is in some ways similar and in many ways very 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 hashtag very different um, <laughs> Paul Verhoeven's L. Uh, which, I, yeah, probably by the time this goes up, I'll have a, re- a review up with Eleanor on 
pantograph on, uh, and which. So, what do you guys think of it? Oh well, let me leap in and be first on this one. I had high expectations. I'd had this built up as the the great sensationalist pop triumph out of Ken, and it was okay. It was fine. <laughs> I, I, I didn't I didn't find it particularly outrageous. It kind of it felt like the entire film was animated by the idea that people are strange. People get turned on by the weirdest things. How about that? And I didn't consider that an insight quite worthy of the architecture it's required to support. Isabel Huppert is fantastic. The opening scene in particular is really strong. Mm. There were a couple of moments where it made me jump. Um, and I came out thinking, is that it? Did you, when did you see it? Did you see it on the final night? Or did I did. You, okay. And I, did you see it upstairs or downstairs? Oh, downstairs. Why? Because the upstairs jolts were like whole balcony kind of like lifting off their seat as one. Well, we got that downstairs kind of too. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> below stairs, we had, uh, there was that same sense. Particularly, there's one moment um, where she's going back to her apartment and her cat jumps, yeah, on, yeah. jumps at her from <laughs> yes. out of frame. And my God, that was such a good moment. That was, <laughs> yeah. that was an old fashioned Hollywood scare. Yeah. Really, really good. And yeah, we all jumped. <laughs> jumped. Mm. Mm. That was good. <laughs> what was your take, Jacob? I um I actually I, I think I enjoyed it more than David. Um, I found it probably well like it's it's, it's not. By any means, the most transgressive film I saw this festival. Um, <laughs> Are we going to talk about Wild? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't want to talk about the details of Wild because if people want to see it, they'll see it. And, <laughs> and yeah. because your kids might listen to this. <laughs> Just yes or no, should I see Wild? I think it's interesting enough to see. It wasn't my favourite film, but yeah, there was enough in it that is really quite interesting. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. And stuff where you just go, they filmed that? <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so Al didn't push that far, but it was mm. it was an interesting take. Well, one of the, the fir- very first thing that I thought was quite interesting is that um, uh, the character's name is... Michelle. I think so, yeah. Michelle with one L. The film was called L, which is closer to Isabel Pierre's actual name. Well, you know what L means, right? No, no. Oh, L, L stands for her in French. Oh, her. Okay, well, the L. L is also the title of the French version of her. Okay. Ah. Mm. Oh, the Spike Jones film. The Spike Jones yeah. film. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Inter- the original novel that it's based off of is called Oh dot dot dot. Ah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, dot, dot, dot. He said questioningly. Yeah, so uh, a French novel, which was then adapted by an American screenwriter with the intent to be an American um, thriller, even though Isabel Huppert was interested. They spent six months trying to get Hollywood actresses to do this, to which they said to a woman, you mean what? No, thank you. And uh, then they said, well... Okay, maybe it's not that bad of an idea to do it in France with Isabel Hubert. Um, <laughs> See, I, I don't speak a lot of French, but one thing that I happen to know is that L in French does mean her, but it also means she. Oh, yeah. And it also means um, feminine it. So it's, it. it's the word oh, okay. you would use for, say, um, a chair if you yeah. were if you were describing yeah. it if, it. if a chair happens to be feminine, feminine. in French, which I've yeah. forgotten. Because so, yeah, all, all nouns are gendered in French. Yeah. 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 So it kind of conveys the sense that in this film, Isabel Huppert is the subject, but she's also the object, yeah. and and to some extent, she's being treated. Well, see, as, I, kind of, I kind of got that. Um, yeah. Without is, actually realizing that it was more specifically hit on the head yeah. with it, um, which I which I liked. 
slightly twisted, slightly dark subject matter played out with, particularly with her role. Well, her backstory, how that affects her, things that happened when she was a child, um, playing into her adulthood, and then the role that she has as a game designer, um, or a company that set up a company designing quite um, graphic games, um, and, and the action they choose to show her interacting with the game and how that's yeah. you know quite yeah, psychosexual as well as you know and, and how she kind of as a character processes the experience of her childhood and almost kind of rebels against it and says fuck you I'm not going to be ruled over by this thing I found the backstory kind of trivialising and annoying that whole this is a woman who's making atypical sexual choices we'd better make it clear that she's badly damaged mm. um, but I really, I really liked her corporate career. Mm. The, her position as the founder of a company, this very powerful woman, yeah. surrounded by men, some of whom clearly resent the hell out of her, yeah. and are really nasty about mm. how they express that, yeah. and other and other men who are just kind of kind of worshipful and slightly creepy, yeah. or extremely creepy, as it turns out. The, the politics of mm. being a woman in that yeah. kind of environment and how that plays into the whole personal story yeah. when she's raped by someone who for all she knows could come from that office. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. And and how she responds to to that culture. I like she's got that um I, I struggled to figure out what his actual role was. The, um, the, was he the story designer or...? I think it was the lead designer. Lead designer, yeah, yeah. Who, who had very strong opinions and clashed with her and was kind of like, you know, what do you know? You're just the money kind of thing. Um, and But that she she could sort of roll right over the top of him saying, yeah, I am the money. I'm paying for your work to do my project, so sort your shit out. Um, but at the same time could go nice job when he did what, yeah. did what yeah. he did well yeah yeah I, I'm thinking about what you're saying David I think there's two ways to look at the movie and one of them is as an object that's meant to be an object of transgression first that happens to have a thriller kind of structure mm. and the other is a thriller that happens to have these other things attached to it. And I think it's much more satisfying from the latter perspective than the former. Yeah. Because, and I feel like I, fortunately, I suppose, viewed it much more from the latter. I mean, because there was this sort of, um, Eleanor alludes to this in our joint review, that there was this buzz out of can of like everybody came out like, oh, this is going to be really divisive, but I kind of liked it. And then everyone's like, oh yeah, we all kind of liked it. <laughs> you know? And, and, and that, that it's that its transgressions really are not that divisive yeah. or arguably um, shocking in 2016. Mm. And, and that's, um, and there will be people who do find it too much, but that those are probably few and far between and pretty self-selecting for the people who would show up based on what it says on the tin. Yeah. Um, and certainly, and s- if you're going to find it too much, you will know within 30 seconds. Yeah, yeah. well, that's true as well. Yeah. Although somebody did walk out... Uh, during the uh, intense scene about two-thirds of the way through, I think. I can um, see oh, why yeah, yeah. 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 Um, <clears throat> So it works for me more as that kind of... Um, uh, I mean, I use the phrase Rorschach plot, and I think that um, the film's best when Isabel Huppert sort of functions as that, and you're trying to read what, sh- what is her plan, what is she doing 
in all this. What's mm. her yeah. larger game? And there, there are some nice scenes that undercut or surprise. And um, there's a scene with a, another functionary at, at her company who she's asked to investigate something off the record. And the way that that resolves is nicely kind of surprising uh, and interesting use of power and unexpected. And so I think that um, there are these little delights throughout the film and um, certainly in her relationship with her son and his toxic partner. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, that was really and, interesting. Um, mm. And and there's this kind of, um, you know, the, this kind of larger web that she lives in that, that to, to some extent did feel like perhaps a novel that needed another focused screenwriting pass to winnow out some stray characters because it did feel like it was perhaps denser than it needed to be for what it was trying to do. Um, I wasn't convinced that you couldn't combine and focus some of the um, various side characters uh, amongst all of these people into something that would would make it a more potent um, driven thriller. But then perhaps I'm overweighting the relevance of the thriller side of it to the social commentary. I guess I'm taking it in the context of, you know, the guy, this is the guy who did Total Recall and Showgirls yeah. and RoboCop, and that those are all coming principally from a desire to entertain while containing a payload of subversion completely, rather than completely. being principally a political film that happens to have my, an action plot in it. My favorite Beethoven film is Black Book. Right. Which is also his most recent, and he's only made that in one other film, and some weird thing in between that kind of got lost um, in the last 10, 12 years. Yes, yes. So I was, I suppose, hoping for something more like that. And that is also mm. very much a thriller and a sensationalist film. Um, and it's even a problematic film in a few ways. But it's a really interesting and I think quite sophisticated war film that also functions to entertain. Yeah. Um, and it also, you know, it's it's a Verhoeven film and there is literally a film in which a naked woman has a large vat of shit emptied over her. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I mean, yeah. you, you, you front up for Verhoeven, you're going to get Verhoeven. Yeah, there is that joy in transgression that... Um, um, that you have to manage and his his willingness to debase people on screen yeah, is something that's yeah. not going to work for everybody and that's you know you sh- you have to struggle with that in whatever way you find I think I mean, one of the things that's striking about Ella is just the way it's shot is very different from Black Book and his other films it's shot in a much more low-key observational um, he shot two cameras for most of it instead of one huh. and so, you know some of the compositions seem almost accidental and and not very much like the comic book stylist that you see in some of his other in a lot of his other films that have really strong senses of framing and and focused lighting and things like that but it also creates this quotidian sense of unease where any you know the the rhythms of where things might break through are quite unexpected and then lead to that jolts in a different sort of way than um a film like black book jolts you in i'm sitting here nodding and thinking yes all of this is true yeah and and i should say i i liked it fine it was I had this last year with the film festival actually the closing night film last year was Holding the Man which I again thought was fine 
it was it was an easy film to like in a lot of ways. That's an odd thing to say about Elle. Um, Elle is not an easy film to like, but it's it's an it's an enjoyable enough film even even for me. And I didn't enjoy it as much as I wanted to. Um, I wanted to come out of the film festival. I really wanted to come out of the film festival on something like on a forgotten beach. Um, on an unknown beach. On a, I keep wanting to call it on a forgotten beach, on an unknown beach, um, which I very nearly did. So, you know, I, I did well enough. You, you got close to the end. Yeah. So. I mean, the, the odds that one of my absolute best festival films was going to be my last were probably not great just statistically. So no complaints. I think this might be a good time to wind up. Do you yeah, guys yeah. have any other um, closing thoughts about the uh, film festival, films that you want to uh, stick up for or um, direct people to or just... Um, Okay, which is for next year. One, one that, um, and Lord knows whether it will come back. But um, on an animation front, and I'm not a big animation head, um, Long Way North, uh, which was um, directed by a chap called Remy Shale, um, French chap, um, who worked as I think head of animation or something like that he was, he was significant part of um, Song of the Sea Tom Moore's Irish animation from um, last year oh no sorry Secret of Cows which was Tom Moore's previous one from a few years back beautiful film um, and a great story for adults and kids female empowerment uh, it's about a young noble girl um, from a Russian family Loosely based on um, Shackleton's um, Ernest Shackleton's travels, um, but transposed from the Antarctic to the Arctic. Well, the girl um, Sasha, who's the main character, comes from a noble family um, who are sort of precariously positioned in Russian nobility, um, and have got on the her grandfather has got on the wrong side of some of some important princes and what have you, and so her parents want her to be socially acceptable. She decides instead that she follows after her grandfather, who's a sort of notable explorer who's gone missing uh, year, like 18 months before and everyone sort of written Moss is dead um, he tried to find the North Pole um, and so she after having a conversation with her parents um, takes off she's a 14 year old girl takes off by herself to try and track down her grandfather because she, because she worked with him on his stuff um, and showed more interest in what he was doing she figured out found a diary of his and figured out that they were looking in the wrong place for him and no one would listen to her so she just disappears off it's a great story about um, a kid who shows I mean courage but also grim determination we're in, in this sort of age of female princesses who um, who are you know going out and doing great things but they're still you know in lovely dresses this girl is um, completely almost completely lacks a love story her, her greatest support in the film is another peasant woman who runs a seaside in who um, she turns up to and sort of gets in trouble because the ship she wants to go on bugs off without her after taking her only sort of source of her only money some jewels that she trades to try and get on and so she ends up working in the sim with this lady um, learns a bit more about herself gets a bit of a bit more gumption and smarts to go along with her determination and then fights with these grizzled sailors on board with a, on a manner of honour and goes to find her grandfather grandfather's ship that disappeared it's, it's fantastic and I watched it with my almost eight year old daughter um, who absolutely loved it and at the end I did a little review with her that I put on Twitter and a little video thing but I also said let's take a photo did you love film yes and so I went to take a photo and she, she had this really angry looking face on I was like 
are you going to smile? Do you like the film? She said, no, I'm being Sasha. <laughs> and, 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 and there's this thing recently that, um, well, in recent years that I've heard more often about um, girls and women complaining about being told to smile all the time. Like, somehow it's only acceptable for ladies in photos to be smiling, um, whereas guys can look as whatever they like want to look like. And to have this character who was a great character to aspire to, who also was quite grim. Yeah. Had that sort of... <laughs> Rough Russian sensibility about her. That sounds like a really good film in itself, and also yeah. like it uh, fills a gap. Yeah, yeah, it was it was very cool. It was a great story, beautifully animated, um, and very kind of muted color palette, um, greys, blues, greens um, to go with the sort of Arctic setting, but also um, fitting the kind of like I said, the grim Russian sensibility that the story set in. It was really nice and quite different. I would give that as a suggestion to parents who are looking for something a bit different for their kids but also for people who are interested in animation um, to seek out if it doesn't come back here which it may not Song of the Sea didn't it'll turn up on Amazon at some stage probably yeah and yourself the film that I haven't mentioned and that I haven't seen celebrated by that many people is um, Francophonia uh-huh. Alexandra Sukarov's um, Russian art dude right yeah yeah well I was about to say kind of his follow up to Russian art except it's not um, it's, it's another film that he's made about one of the world's great museums it's about the Louvre oh, yeah. but you know Russian art is, <laughs> is a one take film that's what it's famous for and it was um, about the Hermitage and it's yeah. about the Hermitage yeah, yeah. This is the film, although I love Russian art, which which makes it clear that Russian art is something of a stunt. Yeah. And that when you allow yourself to use cuts, yeah. you can throw ideas against each other much more interestingly. And putting unlikely things together is what Sukarov does really, really well. Mm. So it's a film about French history, about the history of art in France, about the value of art to a civilization. And it's also a film in which Napoleon wanders around the Louvre, bumping into this personification mm. of, of France. And they have kind of not quite arguments. And there are Nazis wandering around, taking possession of the place because it's also the 40s but it's also the 16th century and the Mm. time periods merging as they in fact do when you go from painting to painting to painting along the wall of one of the world's great museums and it could be incredibly pretentious and annoying I believe a minority of viewers have experienced it that way for me it was with On an Unknown Beach one of the two great documentaries of the festival I found it just fantastic so I I urge people to check it out Mm, great One film that I'll mention because it's coming back uh, in a couple months here, even maybe at the end of next month, is uh, Operation Avalanche. And I don't know, did either of you get to that? No, no. I wanted to. It sounded okay, so well, you, interesting. You've got, you've got the chance. And, um, I mean, mockumentary is something that feels often quite played out. And uh, so I was really impressed. Uh, basically, the story of it is that these two CIA agents who are kind of in what almost seems like the AV club at the CIA, they're quite young and they've just been playing around with film and they um, and the, the race to the moon is happening and oh, yes. they're worried we're not going to make it and so they pitch the idea of like um, I, initially it starts as they pitch to the CIA that they think there's a spy down at NASA and so they're going to go down there as a film crew and as if they're doing a documentary and shoot some stuff and then they'll find this out and then as they get down there and shoot this stuff which incidentally they snuck actual cameras into NASA and shot stuff there in the present day with people who work there and in the control room and all these sorts of places stage these scenes they eventually realize that NASA isn't going to be able to make it to the moon because of various issues and they say well but if we can send some film up 
and beam it back, then they don't actually have to land. On one level, this film is probably almost aberrant because the extent to which our skepticism in reality is kind of almost taken as status quo and the extent to which people are willing to buy into this sort of conspiracy stuff is is only going to be heightened by a film like this. On the other hand, it's just way too much fun to get on a high horse about something like that. Um, and, and then it gets quite dark um, as it sort of the conspiracy of it kind of unfolds and, and into... What, apart from the acting, which is sometimes a bit too present day, other than that, it feels like a fully convincing document of the era. And assuming you embrace the usual mockumentary thing of why are they filming this again, um, which is a, a, can be a bit of a trick. But um, uh, the what they pull off becomes only more impressive as it goes on. And there's a specific scene near the end that's a long um, car chase as they're being found out and shot at that um, in part because the the seemingly obvious poverty of means being put to play is as impressive a special effect as anything as I've seen on screen in 2016 and I just saw Kubo in the two strings so um, I, I'm willing to stand by that statement um, so it's it's not um, it, it's not a knockout it's not my top five but it's something that I think most film buffs would enjoy and anyone who's remotely interested in space especially or that space exploration or conspiracy will just love that aspect of it and okay, um, and it makes me think of Ruby yeah. the <laughs> it, it's it, it, uh, they were both an incredibly strange and yeah. for very different films but sort of a similar thing great well um, we probably saw about 55 other films between us but I think at three hours or so that's probably a good point to uh, (laughs) kick in on its head Um, thanks for your patience everyone who's still out there until next time this has been Doug this is Jacob and David and this is Best Worst Podcast cheers cheers